everyone. This is Charlie Levine, and you are listening to the Angler's Journal Podcast, brought to you by Angler's Journal Magazine. If you're looking for a different fishing magazine that isn't just full of the same old, same old stuff that actually writes some in-depth stories about the people and places and boats and all the cool stuff that makes fishing great, check out anglersjournal.com and pick up a subscription. The Angler's Journal Podcast is happy to welcome IMTRA as our latest sponsor. When you're headed to your favorite fishing spot, enjoy a more comfortable ride and improve fuel efficiency with a fully automatic Zipwake dynamic trim control system from IMTRA. Zipwake interceptors automatically keep your boat level and trim properly. They balance uneven loads like live wells or additional passengers and react in real time to chop and swell. And the low profile design means they're less likely to foul a fishing line than your traditional trim tabs. To learn more about Zipwake, visit imtra.com. That's I-M-T-R-A dot com. All right. Hey, everybody. This is Charlie Levine, editor-in-chief of Angler's Journal Magazine. And we've got a heck of a story for you today. Sitting uh, across the table for me is a gentleman who's been a big boat captain, who's caught all kinds of marlin, who's fished around the world, has been a guide in Alaska, has pulled boats for big tarpon. I mean, he's really done it all and he recently had a i don't even know what to say <laughs> and i would say it was a it started out as a fishing uh day and but it ended up in a in a situation yes without further ado captain tim hyde welcome to the podcast and and thanks for for making the drive to to sit here with me today yes sir pleasure so Captain Tim, for our listeners who aren't really aware, you know, Captain Tim's been fishing offshore for decades and was involved in sort of mothership operations when that kind of came into favor, right? Mr. Tyson, we had uh, the, the Tyson's Horizons, Pride. And the Tyson Pride, Mr. Merritt built two vessels. So we started out with a 63 and then we built a 65. And we had capability where I could deploy around the world and stay on station for six months anywhere. Anywhere. And Mr. Tyson, when, when I hired on, uh, he said two things, Tim. Never run out of fuel on the mothership, which carried 40,000 gallons. Wow. And I wrote this mission statement down. Never run out of diesel. Secondly, never run out of blue label scotch. <laughs> got to so have priorities. I put cases of black, blue label on that Barrett boat. My initial sea trial, because things in the boatyard back up because of logistics, getting parts, my sea trial was to get this 65-foot Merritt with all the systems, and my sea trial was a one mile down to the that uh, ship that they sink, dockwise. Oh, yeah, the, and then it... And I requested up. the last berth, and specifically, and they built a cradle. So we actually sink the ship, and you bring this 65-foot Merritt in, just like you're docking the boat. Mm-hmm. And then once all the vessels, let's say there's 20 vessels on there, they then pump air in and ballast all the water out. Boat comes back you're up. You're sitting in your cradle. Being I was the last one there, I don't know how many people did it, but I had a vision that I had to do it. And I trolled from Fort Lauderdale for 15 days across the North Atlantic through the Straits of Gibraltar to Palma, Mallorca, Spain. 
Of course you did. So you're trolling off this giant container thing full of big yachts. 900-foot ship. <laughs> That's At, at 8.5 now, which was perfect. That, that really defines the guy sitting across the table from me. If there's a way to catch a fish, he's going to do it. But you have to imagine, too, a lot of these boats, this was in the 90s, the marinas, the things we know today, uh, the facilities, it did not exist. So you had to know how to fix everything maintain everything from tackle to engines to electronics to air conditioning everything um and 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 to be able to cross into all these different countries with the papers and so it was quite an adventure always logistically in one of voyages which your guys would like i left again out of palm beach and this, this was a 63 foot buddy davis cold motor boat and went over to sailfish center right inside the inlet of Palm Beach. And with the motors running, I had a guy build me a cradle and I had 13 55-gallon plastic olive oil drums. And while the motors were running, the exhaust was approximately six inches above the water bootstripe. And we filled 13 of them. And the exhausts were underwater, going boop, 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 boop. You couldn't shut the motors off. And I trolled from Palm Beach to Bermuda which is about 1,022 miles. And that was, I believe that was about 120 hours. And we caught five or six blue marlins, tagged some Gee. of them. My mate's wiring over top of these barrels. and You know, it, yeah, we had fun stuff. We did a lot of fun stuff. Wow. And, Tim, how old are you now? Right now? 17 in my mind, just not my behind. Ah. 67. 67. Okay. And you've been doing this your whole life. You all, were telling me. All my life. Born in North Carolina, grew up in New Jersey. Um, on Delaware the, Bay. Yep. On the coast of Barnegat. Just okay. a bay rat my whole life. So from four years old, my mom used to tie a harness onto me and hook me to the clothesline so I wouldn't get in the creek. So, wow. So that's how long. That's <laughs> that wouldn't fly these days, but that's. That's oh, they had, I have pictures of it. They would lock her oh up right God. now. That's yeah. hilarious. I'd be in the mud. So we were seven kids. So she piled Bobby, Timmy, Jimmy, Kelly, Mark, Michael, Ronnie back at the station wagon and take us two blocks to the beach, unload us all. And for the day, we were in, on, or under the water. And I'd been doing that for 65 years. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And we had known each other from, you know, working together. You've written a bunch of articles. Uh, for other magazines I was at. Did you write the article about the Jersey Devil? I did. That, that was, was one of the coolest articles I remember. So I was blessed to work for... The Jersey uh, Devil was a really well-known boat. Jersey Devil was built... That particular vessel was built by Warren O'Neill, okay? And it was 46 foot with a pair of 671 Detroits that Johnson and Towers revved up with turbos on. So it was a fast boat for back then. And it was a great sea boat. So my initial time on that as a mate was 1969. We brought it from Atlantic City down to Hatteras, and we just blistered blue marlins and dolphins. And, and Ronnie taught me how to offshore fish. In other words, tw back then, all we did was twist 10 piano wire and 15 piano wire, and that's it. Everything was rigged, swimming mullets, swimming squids. There were no ballyhoo. We didn't use ballyhoo back then, Charlie. It was kind of neat. All mullet. All swimming mullet and eels. Eels were great. Squid? Squid, eels, and mackerel, Spanish mackerel. That was a cool story. And and obviously, you've been on the water your whole life. And 
we kind of lost touch for a bit there. I kind of go yeah. to where there's no communications. That's right. <laughs> no planes, no trains, no, no automobiles. Problem. I'm heading there in about 10 days. Right. So we, you know, you would pop up every now and again, my phone would ring and you'd, we'd catch up a little bit. And then a couple of years ago, I guess it was sort of pandemic time and um, you were bringing a boat down to San Salvador in the Bahamas. Correct. And you called to see what I was up to, basically invited me to come down and hang out. Um, you the said, wahoo fishing. We were catching 100-pound wahoos, and I thought you you and your editor at that time was... Bill Sisson. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we could go bone fish in the morning. We strived to try to catch an inshore slam, small tarpon, bone fishing permit, and then go offshore and replicate that. Yeah. Which, which I've done several <laughs> Sounds times. Sounds like paradise. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> sign me up. So... I was, you know, we were trying to figure out some dates, which is always the hardest this part. This was December, and you had, you know, you had holidays, commitments, everybody did, yeah. prior to Christmas. And then I just sort of lost touch, and I figured, you know, Tim was off being Tim. You were in some fishing shack somewhere doing I, something. I don't know. Well, I had been posting pictures every day, because I like to share them. And that, you know, most folks would see that every day, whatever. Right. And I'm not a phone or a computer guy. But the young people put on this Instagram thing on my yep. phone. Yeah, I would. It, you know what? Is for Tim. Take a picture and hit it and share it, and that's it. Yeah, and it was cool. You were fishing with a lot of local people. Yes. Uh, you were telling me the pandemic was extremely hard for that area, yes. and people were hard, you know, looking for food. And you would go out and catch fish and teach people how to fish and share the catch. The, the little island had uh, only employment. But, Back then was um, 2020 was really harsh, and 500 people got laid off from Club Med, and they worked in all, all parts of of the operation. So there's 500 people, 500 families on a small island with no income and no way to. For instance, the mail boat comes once a week. You have to put an order in. A gallon of milk is about twelve dollars, and they freeze it, and they put on a mail boat. And it gets there a week later. So what they order is what they got. And, wow. And that's it. There's no, uh, let me put it this way. There's no Costco's. Yeah, yeah. There's no, you, you know what I'm saying? Very primitive, but it's beautiful. And that's why I choose to go there. And the fishing's good. Phenomenal. You're, you're right on the edge. Indescribable. A hundred yards set out. I've called Blue Marlin. A hundred yards out of the cut waiting for the CEO of Subaru to fly in. We release a 500-pound blue marlin, literally un- untie off the sidewall and put my riggers out, and we're fishing. Yeah, that's amazing. Cut. So I was wanting to go, and it, I was excited. And like I said, we sort of lost touch. And then several months later, I see you posting photos again. <laughs> so I said, I, I think I liked one of your photos or something. And then you it was reached, a year later. It was a year. And you reached out and said, Charlie, I got a story for you. <laughs> so, I mean, let's kick this off, Tim. Tell me what happened. So for Baytum, I, I had been uh, going out fishing myself on recon. I'd leave at dark 30, and I'd fish for an hour or two and catch as many fish as I want, literally, because I don't want to, you know, I would come back in, literally, if I went out at 5, I'd be back to the dock at 7. And there would be immediately 15 families that would come to the dock. And if I had an 80-pound Wahoo, I would just start staking it. And, and say, give it away. How many, pe- how many people in your family? And, and I knew most of the families, but then 
So four steaks for you. And I bought a bunch of those. You know how you go to Publix and you got those bins? Before I left, I bought three handfuls of those bags they recycled and took with me. Okay. And I could then just put four Wahoo steaks bunch in A bunch of it. plastic bags. Yeah, those Publix. Yep, grocery yep. bags. You know how you trade them back in? Yep. Yeah, so I took piles of them in that way because they don't even have plastic bags. Yeah. A Ziploc, they would take a Ziploc, wash it out. Use it for a year. Yes. Yeah. So that's, you know, and that's great. But having said that, nicest people in the world. So I would feed all these people. And I, I was trying to teach a couple of youngsters, which I was, how to fly fish with the idea, because I had a dream when I was in Alaska that I should go, come back and give back, give the fish away. And my owners are well off enough that they only take a fair amount home. You know, what are you going to do? You got a plane, you take 20 fillets. Yeah. So every day is a daily occasion that, People are coming down. So I was teaching this one youngster, and I was giving him like 20 bucks just to shammy this boat off, just to give this young man something to do. And I took him out fishing one day, and we caught a, uh, it was about an 80-pound wahoo initially, and this bull shark came right up and grabbed it by the tail and, and wouldn't let go. And I'm, I'm like, all right. And he said, Tim, we can harvest this. It was about a 125-pound shark. So I shot it. We gaffed it. Got the wahoo, which is about 60 pounds of meat left, and we brought the shark and inflated it. And some people think, you know, you can't eat sharks, but if you bleed them right out, that for people that don't have anything, right, it's, it's a meal. It's protein. Yes. Yep. If you get a dead marlin, we, we don't let the sharks eat it. We bring it in and flay it, and sure. these guys smoke it. Or I mean, yeah. it's utilized. In other words, you're feeding families. So anyway, this young man uh, said to me, Tim, you're giving all this fish away. Um, I think what you need to do is give it to me. I'm going to give it to my brother, and he'll send it back on the mailboat once a week, and we'll sell it in Nassau. And I said, well, that's great in theory. And, you know, you're that's telling me you get, you, wanted. you get 20 hours a pound for the fillets, and that's fine. But that's you, not but you weren't I'm, looking to get into commercial fishing. You're I, just helping I didn't go out there. some people. I've been, doing, I've been going there for 35 years. Right. So I have friends that are little kids that I taught the chamois, the Subaru, and the Tyson Pride, and now these guys are adults. So anyway, I got back to my room, which was right on the beach behind the boat, and it's a beautiful place, San Sal. I mean, there's a, a nice condos that they rent out. So two hours later, a knock comes on the door. It's, I mean, we got in, it was like 7-ish. So it was about 8.30. I know it was around 8.30. And I opened the door, and here's the inspector, the police inspector, which I had just given him a, t a black grouper the day before, like 20 pounds. And I said, I don't have any more. I gave it all away. Oh, thinking wow. that, yeah, yeah. That's not what I'm here for, Tim. And I said, okay, yes, sir. What, what, what's the issue? He goes, well, this young man has filed a complaint with us and I got to take you down to the jail and we got to go through some, the interview. What, so what was he, he was upset because you didn't go for his idea. I didn't want to sell the fish. Right. So he so he told the inspector that I threatened to kill him with my pistol that I had only used one bullet on this particular shark. So this inspector doesn't know anything. Here's a complaint. So I had to go through the interview process. It was a Friday night. So they lock you in the cell while they do their investigation, I guess he called it. 
So that became a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and on Monday, a plane came from Nassau, and I mean, the story goes on, but Rick Rosenthal was coming in from the BBC. Friend of yours. And he's a film director, and we were looking at doing a documentary on the Bahamas, more or less climate change, sea level, the low-lying islands, the impacts of the hurricanes. Which is another huge passion. That is, sure. Is so look what happened in Dorian, right. up at Marsh Harbor. and I mean, that place yes. is still devastated. Um, so, so he's coming in. To do a film. He, he's coming to Recon. He flew from California direct to Miami and took the flight in. And we're going to Recon to see if we can make this documentary. He does everything for the BBC, like the Blue Planet series. Phenomenal filmmaker. So as his plane landed, they put me on that plane in handcuffs to go to Nassau. Because they because I, this boy's complaint. I've got to go to court. There's no court in San Salvador. Right. But they, they found a shell casing, right? Was that yes. the story? Mm-hmm. Okay. And, so, and carry, for anyone who does traveling on boats, guns in certain areas mandatory. are... Well, but it's a you have to know the rules because some people, Mexico, oh, the Caribbean... It's very strict. Very strict, and you can get yourself in a lot of hot water. So what happened was, unbeknownst to me, two months before, a drug runner up in Marsh Harbor shot a police officer, right? They put him in jail. They went to Nassau to Fox Hill Prison. And he was out, and, and like the next week was court date. And he paid like a $2,000 fine, and now he's back at Marsh Harbor selling drugs again. So the local police said, nah, this is, that was too lenient. We need to enact a law that's strict. So from now on in the Bahamas, if they find a shell casing, a shotgun shell casing in the bed of your pickup, in the back of the truck, on the floorboards of the boat, it's a mandatory three-month jail sentence. Before you go to court. Before you even go to court. You stay in the prison. For, they throw the key away, and you don't... I never saw daylight for 107 days out of my cell. I mean, it's so mind-boggling. So you told me you were wearing, like, flip-flops and I shorts. Had a, no, I had a pair. I had a pair of uh, a billabong surf shorts and a Tar Heel T-shirt, and that's what I was arrested in. And that's what I had for 107 days. Oh, my gosh. So in the prison, before you go to court, here's how it lays out. People think prison, it can't be too bad. Do you know, you know what a Clorox jug is? Sure. Okay, so the prison bars are spaced about six inches apart. You would take an empty Clorox bottle in the morning, squeeze it through the thing, and give it to, to the guard. He'd walk 10 feet over to the guard hose and filled it. And that was your water for two days. That's it. You you either drink it or you take your Tar Heel T-shirt, wet that, and sponge yourself off, and that's it. And wow. literally, it, it's horrific. So, I mean, how did you you walk into this place? I mean, what was your cell like? What was what were your initial? They threw me in in the cell. Um, Below the courthouse, and I'll never forget it because they take you on this bus and they, they change you together like a chain gang, and then they put you on the bus. They put leg shackles on you. It's all intimidating. And then at the bottom of the courthouse where the judge and magistrates are is a huge 
holding pen. So I'm thrown in with murderers, killers, armed robbers. They don't, and I'm the only Caucasian. Right, and and probably the only American. And they don't like, yes. And yeah, so I didn't fare well. There was altercations. That must have been terrifying. It was. I mean, when the guy next to you is sitting there on the bench using a toothbrush and filing it on the concrete to sharpen it so he can stab the next guy, you get very well concerned. Wow. Yeah, so I did a lot of praying. I, so what is Fox Hill? Explain this. To Fox Hill is a prison that's 100, yards, 100 years old. In Nassau. And it's the worst conditions in the world. There's stories written about it. You die in Fox Hill prison. They basically throw the key away. The American embassy, I'm sorry. I'm not going to apologize for it. They never came to see me. They called up front to the front guard shack and said, we understand you have an American, Captain Timothy Hyde. Well, he's in uh, quarantine. Oh, well, we can't come to see him for whatever. 14 days was supposed to be quarantine. I laid on a concrete floor, the floor for 40 days in a cell that's six by nine foot designed for two inmates. And he threw five of us in there, killers, gangsters, they almost, within five minutes, the one guy almost killed the other guy. Five minutes, I'm in the cell. Where am I going to go? Yeah. Right? So the senior inmates took the two racks, and the rest of us fend for herself. I laid by a toilet commode that didn't flush, that the previous inmates had ripped the, the lids off and all. And now five guys are utilizing this in a six-by-nine cell. And it didn't flush? No. So in the morning... A guy would open the jail thing. Another inmate would bring a five-gallon bucket of water, hold it up chest level, dump it in the hole, which would gravity feed what was in the commode. Oh my gosh, Tim! I, I don't yeah. even—I'm speechless. And I mean, your family, your friends—nobody knew a thing because you know some very high-level people from all the fishing you've done. And I all tried these to get the CEO of Subaru via the American Embassy to contact him. To just get the ball rolling, that, yeah. that you know, because obviously I'm going to get a lawyer. Yeah. Obviously, the people that are in there, the local inmates, have it down because they've been in. They're in and out all their lives. These people know how to work the system, so they have their girlfriends or family bringing them food every day at five o'clock. I mean, they're eating, you know, fried chicken, fried this, and I got two pieces of white bread, and I got a. You know, they're bringing spaghetti and meatballs and fried fish. Everybody's eating out of those styrofoam containers. I don't know what's going on. So who am I going to call? Right. Right? Well, what, so you didn't you lose a, you must have 30 lost 30 pounds in, in, in 107 days. I don't need to lose 30 pounds. I only weighed 195 and I got out, I think it was like 169, something like that. But I survived on two pieces of white bread in the morning, that Clorox sugar water, and it's 6 o'clock. Two more pieces of white bread. And if you don't think you get hungry, you you start wishing for that stale and stale because the grocery stores donated um, to the prisons. So it's, it's real tough conditions. Did you, I mean, I would imagine you got messed with, right? Yeah, I got, I got, I never let them handcuff my right hand ever again. The first week, I, I understand what's going on now. So when you go outside, of yourself just to go to the courthouse they handcuff you and shackle you and i wouldn't let them handcuff my right hand anymore 
the guy was handcuffed the first day. He hits the prison guard. They beat the crap out of him, with, and they use billy clubs. Who do you think's getting hit too? Because you're just attached to him. What are you going to do? Oh my god! So they don't care, you know. So I had to go. I think I got stitches twice because I got you know hit, knocked against the wall. Uh, I I got so dehydrated I passed out one time, and they had to take me not to clinic. I was in there like an hour. I said, I'm going to die in this place. This other guy is dying from COVID, and I'm 10 feet away, chained to, to a chair. I said, I got to get out of here, you know? That's so terrifying. Yeah, just put the stitches in, Doc, and let me go back to my cell. That was the safest place to be, in your cell. Hmm. Did you make any friends? Well, the one general was Mr. Knowles, He's, and I explained that I was a fisherman, he had kin that lived on San Sal. This was an older gentleman. He'd been in and out of that jail three times. A 20-year stint, Charlie. How would you go back to that? Wow. He shot a guy, uh, robbed a jewelry store, and they caught him on a camera. It's third offense. These are like bad guys. Yeah. So I said, listen, Mr. Knowles, I was just feeding people there. I just want to survive this 100 days. And I don't have any altercations with anybody. I'm not confrontational. So he actually told the other uh, four guys, don't screw with him, you know. And that, and that that was in the first. You you have the, you couldn't infringe upon their space in a six-by-nine-foot area. Right? I mean, how do you even do that? I laid on a concrete floor by the by jail the cell that opened. And that's it. My feet were where the commode was, and my head was against the bars. It was oh, no pillow, no blanket. I had a pair of Billabong surf shorts and a Tar Heel T-shirt. Wow! And guess what? There's roaches crawling all over the wall. At night, these bugs come out called chintz bugs, and they're like worse than bed bugs. Do you ever hear of them? Yeah. Not good. Not good conditions. Don't go ever to Fox Hill Prison. Man. So what I learned was this. When the charges were finally dismissed because they were false, the judge said, you're free to go back to San Salvador tomorrow, Tim. This was when I got released. And I said, you know what? Little voice said, Tim, you better fly back to Fort Lauderdale. Right. And see where it goes from there. I mean, I, your head. I mean, you, I would have... PTSD. I, I don't think you could just go walk back on a plane. I mean, you must have I, been I, so I, rattled. I actually, um, my brother met me at, at the airport, and he was from Vero Beach. I went up there for two nights, and then uh, borrowed money from him, and I bought another used plumber's ProMaster van. I drove up to the Appalachian Trail. I spent uh, three months walking the trail and fishing the little streams, not big trout, but wild yeah. brook trout, and Got my mind right. Yeah. I'm good. I'm good to go. How 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 did you do that? How, how did you survive? I just mentally said I got to survive 18 seconds out. That's as much as I could focus. If I make 18 seconds and I'm not stabbed or I'm not something. I mean, every day it's altercations. The guys sold drugs out of my cell. So it was 24 hours a day. Guys rattling the bars because what happens is the inmates that are good, they get to go around and deliver food and whatever. And and those guys take 
they have so many systems. My guys paid the guard $1,000 a week to bring in illicit the drugs and all, and they sold them out of my cell. So, a, a cigarette, at, at best, I've seen it at $10 for a cigarette during the lockdown, $10 for a wow. cigarette. And they smoked Almer heavy smokers. In the cell with you. In the cell, and you're not allowed to smoke. And you don't smoke, do no. you? And they're rolling doobies that it looked like Cheech and Chom. Oh, my God. So they played rap music 24-7, the worst rap music. And all night, all they talked about is how they're going to go out and shoot this next family and kill them and Mac 510 guns. There's guys in there that are in life prison that were down the hall from me. And they killed so many people, they're in for life. So no one screws with them. You know, they run the prison. And it's all corrupt. It's It's indescribable and now a word from our sponsor intra is a 100 percent employee-owned company committed to bringing best-in-class products expert knowledge and unparalleled support to the entire marine industry throughout north america since 1952 i'm so sorry this happened to you oh it's a learning experience because i learned that um, when I go back to Sandstyle, which I, I will. I can't even believe you're talking about going back. There. I'm going to go back, and I've already lined it up for next February, March. But my mistake was I was too trusting, and I was kind, and I brought this young Bahamian out to teach him. And now I'm going to be leery about bringing a local younger person on the boat again. I mean, the older people that I know, that would never occur with this Young fellow, I'll be noticed me. He's a drug dealer, and he wanted, you know, money. Yeah. And I'm an American, so guess who wins? They throw me in prison, and he can say what he wants until court date. Man. So when you're in there, were you you in the cell pretty much 24-7, or did you? I never got out of the cell other than go twice to court. I never was out. They, They talk about having recreational time. There's none of that. And and so just so I can explain a little bit of Tim to our listeners, I, I live in, you know, the suburbs. And just driving in here, he said, Charlie, take a picture of me because I'm never coming back here. So I can't imagine you being cooped up like that. You're an outside guy. You like air. I didn't and see space. the sun. The hardest thing for me was not to see the horizon. Cause I'm I'm up at three thirty, four thirty in the morning. That's just me. Do you ever hear that SSS? Yes. Uh, people, you don't need to sleep so no. much. If I go to sleep normally at 11, at 3.30, my battery's charged. I wake up and I just go again, you know, and, and it standard had been all my life. That That's way. for a fisherman. That's a good thing. That's so I can work 18 hours a day. Yeah. No and wonder you're, like, yeah. you, you're a high in demand captain and mate, I'm sure. But anyway, um, I just wiped the slate clean on that particular incident. I'll never let it happen again. You know, it's like you don't shoot a big bear with a small caribou rifle. So you learn. So this is a learning experience. I'll go back and I'll still donate the food. I'm still got three youngsters I'm going to teach to fly fish. Because in my dream, I'm supposed to teach these 13, 14-year-old kids so that they can, I want to start a guiding service for the island with the local Bahamian gentleman bring a flats boat over, and let this youngster become a guide. Look at the guides in Andros oh, or yeah. Marsh Harbor or famous bonefish guides. 
Yeah, sure. And so, multi, multi-generations. The once, and no one teaches these youngsters anything. In San Sal. In San Sal, because there's not that opportunity. But they have an excellent lagoon system with Pigeon Creek, with permit, and beautiful bonefish flats. No one even goes there. Well, and then all the offshore potential, too. Yes. I mean, it's not an easy place to get to, right? It's way we left, down there. No, How far is it from Miami? It's, it's got to be 400 miles or something. Well, I'll tell you exactly, and it's very easy to get to because I ran a 25-foot Whirlcat from Bud Mary's in Almorada, and we struck out, and 24 hours later, 522 miles later. 522 miles. We were in San Salvador on that 25-foot Whirlcat. Dang. Did you, you just I cut right through Andros, right across the bank, that boat only draws two and a half, three feet, twin outboards. So I cut directly through Andrews, straight to San Sal. We stopped in uh, the Azumas at Stan OK and we got 150 gallons of fuel. And then we proceeded. Reason being, there was a cold front coming. And I left out of Bud and Mary's in Alvarado and it was dusty because we still had leftover sea. But I knew it was going to fall out. And it became slick cam for 400 miles, glassy. And you just, you just so ran. Day and night, 20, 24 and a half hours. Yep. That's impressive. But, I mean, that's the kind of stuff you love to oh, do. Oh, yeah, for sure. The challenge, and you have to, you know, when I grew up, like you were saying, there was no uh, GPS, there was no Lorans. When we go down in the Subaru, the, to, uh, there was no Los Sueños. We used to anchor in Herdura Bay. Down in Costa Rica. And we would take and have to fill 55-gallon drums, get a pickup truck, and go up into the mountain to get fuel i mean it's not you you can envision what i'm talking about yeah i mean because we've i've published a lot of stories about those kinds of things and and we pioneered a lot of that i know you did and the fishing was great because it had been pretty much undiscovered not there wasn't a viking in sight i love (laughs) pat healy right and i love that and i know there's 100 boats in los suenius yeah it's it's a wonderful thing but it looks like you're in fort lauderdale correct it's just a different deal Guy can get off dockwise and plug his GPS in for 157 miles and be off of that ship in Golfito, the banana dock, mm-hmm. and be up there. And how much skill did that take? No disrespect. No, it's just different. It it takes a a bunch of money, but you're right. On you know, you guys just skill did level. it. And and it's really that whole mothership time. So, well, tell us about the Subaru. Subaru was a cold-molded boat that Buddy Davis built in 1982. It was the last uh, wood boat that he planked. And then he switched over and built a a molder, a plug off that boat, and he went into production. Buddy Davis was the first production. The 61 was a famous boat, the 47. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners know that name. Um, And there's some incredible builders down in in the Carolinas. And I've been blessed... To really to meet them all. Back in 1975, like I said, I went there to Hatterson 69, and I met those guys, uh, which is a wonderful bunch of fishermen. And that, just for your information, that's a 252 area code. And between Hatteras and, and Oregon Inlet, the Outer Banks, there's no one that would do more for you. They would take their shirt off your back. I would come into Port Oregon Inlet, and it run 217 miles straight from Atlantic City. Came in the inlet, and I followed John Ballas on the Tar Heel. Wow. And I was in the tower because I ran the boat from the tower the whole time. And John came down to dock later because I tied right up to Oregon Inlet Fishing Center. He said, Tim, that's pretty impressive, you know. From the sea buoy 
in all the way. He never came out of the tower. And man, your jacket's flying and it's cold. It was like November. I said, John, I left Atlantic City in the tower. It was 12 hours ago. Wow. And he just laughed. I said, that's my office. Yeah. 99% of anything that ever happened, you hit something. So I've changed a bunch of propellers. I choose not to, but I'd rather be in the tower and I can see a lot of things happen before they happen. Yeah, but he's right. I mean, you're going to take a beating up there. I, Mr. Tyson used to laugh because I climbed the tower at 7 o'clock in the morning with my backpack, and I had some peanut butter crackers and a little thing of water, and I had a, what is it, like a gallon and a half of Tide to use the bathroom. Thing. <laughs> and he would just laugh. He says, yeah, I'll see you at 5 this afternoon when we get back to the mothership, you know. Man. That's next level. And so with the Subaru, that was... That was a cold motor boat. So but it was it was on that world tour kind of thing. Yeah, right? we, we left out of there, and uh, Harvey Lamb was the owner, and I proposed we do this, this, this. So we extended from all through, the, and I've been blessed. There's over 700 Ks in the Bahamas. And my goal back then in 75, 80, it was start at Walker's K. This was my m- mission in my mind. Nobody else's, and fish from walkers through all the way down. Treasure Cave was popular back then, and then cross over to Spanish Wells, then Eleuthera, and fish Eleuthera, then down to Cat Island, then San Salvador, and then over to Long Island, Clarence Town, then the Acklands, Crooked, Managua. So you know that place better than anybody. I love it. I mean, that's a, like I said, I've anchored it. Not only did we fish them, but I anchored in a different cove every day. So Mr. Lamb would come in, say, for 10 days. We would start at Walker's and end up in San Sal, fishing our way there. And then he would fly out. I'd moved and repositioned the boat, say, down the Aquins, Crooked. There was no, logistically, there was nothing there. So I'd troll eight knots and catch blue marlins and wahoos and wow, just have phenomenal fishing. Discover we. We discovered a lot of the banks and stuff that, that really are uncharted. Down there, you really need to run the boat from the tower, too. Because yes. yes. so, so there's many things that will bite you. For yeah. sure. Um, so I was blessed. But I, we had a world tour. Then we fished, uh, I mean, we were one of the first ones to leave from Hatteras. And it was 610 nautical miles to Bermuda. And we used to make that run in 26 hours with those 13. Imagine sitting there with a hand crank, Charlie. And hand cranking the fuel as you run into the tanks. What what we did was I oh to transfer fuel. Yeah, so I drilled through the fill up on top, a quick disconnect, pop on some hydraulicos, and every hour just pump fifty five gallons hand crank out of the barrels into the main tanks. Well, and you have that kind of ingenuity, and and that's what a good captain needs to keep you, the operation going. How it's, else would you do it? I'd be lost. I I would be saying, I'd be calling you. What do I do? Um, it's it's just impressive to me, and the stories you've shared with me over the years are just blessed. I mean, we've blessed, but a lot this of- one is different. <laughs> this story, I, I don't think you deserved any of that stuff. No, but and, it's a learning experience, and I learned. And it, actually, a Bahamian uh, lady, Stephanie, said, "Tim, you have to learn that it's not thirty years ago." This is an older woman. She said, "You're going to share your kindness with these younger guys, like in her twenties." And they're going to take advantage of you. So just be careful of that. She gave me fair warning. 
So I now am going to be more careful as to who comes aboard the vessel. I'll do whatever, you know, come down to the fish docks. We'll have, a, dock. we'll have a, a click beer and yeah. they prefer Bud Light, which I don't think I'm bringing back <laughs> Bud Lights anymore. No. Wow, man. I just, I'm just impressed that you even want to go back. It's I can see how much you love it down there. Great people, great fishing, and, and you can't let something take that away from you because that's just in my mind. I have to fulfill that that uh, task. Yep. Another place you've come to love. So you went from the blue water to, to Alaska to Alaska to fish, you know, in these remote areas of Alaska. Unbelievable. Um, all I can say is it's gotten so hot, Charlie, and I'm a guide in the Keys. So right now I've been taking people permit fishing between mostly Big Pine, some out of Almorado, but mostly we fish the Marquesas, Boca Grande out of Key West. That was my backyard. But it, it gets so hot by literally by May that pulling that Maverick around, yeah, I've lost enthusiasm for that as far as heat. Now, most of my clients leave by then and go north because yep. they're already catching blue marlins. They're already catching gaffers at Hatters. They're already catching stripers in New Jersey. So literally, that's a slow season. So I said, where are you going to go, Tim? And I love the cold in some respects. So a buddy of mine said, you know, I heard about this place up uh, it's about 700 miles above Anchorage. So I've researched different places, and I want to go to the most remote lodge. I don't want to be in Ketchikan or Sitka or Juneau where it's a daily guiding trip. You come okay. back. I want to be that guy that's out there. Out there. And they fly in Beaver to Haviland Plains, which is amazing, these bush pilots. So literally, the fish Mission Bay Lodge, my last season, you would fly into Dillingham. Anchors take another Alaskan Airlines to Dillingham, which is a famous port salmon fish in bristol bay okay so there's actually a, a functioning airport there sure a lot of commerce going on and then you get they shuttle you in a, a van 200 yards and you get on the float plane and fly 175 miles i bet it's the most beautiful flight <laughs> it's on and you know what anybody doesn't believe in god they need to take that 175 mile flight through the mountains over the rivers watching herds of caribou moose wolves I mean, it's, it's the last pristine wilderness in the world, literally. And they just shut down the pebble mine, by the way, which is a, which can a huge, be a serious. Yeah. We all fought against that. We, we were involved in that as much as we could be, too. And that was just, folks, that's just something. If they had done that, they would have destroyed the whole watershed of the Bristol Bay fishery. So that got shut down. That was a big win. Yep. And it's going to come up again and again sure. and again. But Money talks. Win. That's it, buddy. But so, anyway, amazing fishery. If anybody ever gets a chance, Google Mission Bay Lodge, uh, Gold Creek Lodge. I'm going to King Salmon. And and you know what? It's just phenomenal fishing, and I can't describe it. One has to participate. Yeah. So I'm going to drag you up there next. Oh, you don't have to drag me. Huh? Kind of September is <laughs> when jump. you have five different species of salmon. They all overlap. So your kings come in first, then the co-host. And last September, I love silvers, which is like, a tarpon. So you're casting pink streamers, and literally as soon as you hook them, they're jumping. Just jumping all it's, over. Yeah, and the creek's only 
18 inches and you've got this huge salmon, where's he going to go? So are you using drift boats or any kind of boats or do you we just We actually walk? use, we use drift boats in certain sections like on the Gulawak River and Ogulawak in uh, Yupik is many rapids. Okay. So. Sounds uh, a little dangerous. <laughs> it is. It's all, it's like whitewater rafting in a skiff with a jet. Oh, those. Outboard. Gotcha. And when you, what I do is I proceed all the way up five miles through the Ogulawak shut the motor off, and then I row you down. And I stem the tide because the river's slowing out. So you're, you're rowing against I'm the rowing, river. I'm just stemming the tide, and you're doing your castings, every riffle. So if you've got rainbow trout, cutthroats, you've got arctic char, you've got arctic graylings, which look like a mini sailfish. Yeah, Ever they're cool. Them? Yep, yep. And and great stuff, you know. And, and But you have to be able to uh, maneuver around the rapids as well. Wow, that or sounds like a lot that of could fun. be a little dangerous. But you know, you get to learn to read the water. But you have to have a little bit of you have to have great eyesight because running up the river, you're going over boulders and stuff. And if you misjudge that jet boat, yeah, I can't tell you how many motors have gotten ripped off the lower unit because you can misjudge just by two feet and just smash, bang, boom, and then you're rolling down to where you're going to fly the float plane into get to yourself and come back to do repairs on that vessel another yeah. day. Well, I've always said that, you know, dropping a bait back to a blue marlin in the spread is probably about the coolest thing you can do in the fishing world. It is. And what we did with Mr. Tyson and the Subaru is we strictly, um, on Tyson's pride, we, and Subaru, we just towed four teasers. I had two. And just dropped Up back. in the in tower. There's a rope burn from a thousand pounder there pulling my Brazilian, my Black Bart teaser away, and we pitched, all we did was pitch bait. Now imagine this, in Madeira, uh, on one bank, there's a species of mackerel, which is similar to a Boston mackerel up in the Northeast, similar, but, so we started marking, my first time in Madeira, I started marking bait like 30 fathoms down. I said to myself, that's interesting. So the next day we rigged up a diamond jig with a couple little tube lures, and I said to my mate, just Tari, I said, drop that down. Just let it go, let it go, let it go. And you could see a jig going down on the color scope. Anyway, he got down there, put the, closed the bail, and made two jigs. We had two boss of mackerel type like that. We put them right in our tuna tubes. So envision an eight to 900-pound blue marlin coming up on your teaser. You tease them to the transom, and now you pitch a live mackerel and it's like a gumdrop. Oh, yeah. The going away bite, they would roll off my teaser and in turn, turning on a going away bite, it was just the mate would hook them on 600 pound mono, hand hook it, and oh, then geez. Mr. Tyson on a 130 would proceed on. But how thrilling is that? That's got to be mind boggling. Yeah. So I was going to ask, like, how does that compare oh. to what you're doing in Alaska? Or It's just a different fishery. And yeah. I mean, that's my favorite. I like hunting blue marlins more than anything. That's my favorite deal. But at some point, I like the skinny water as well. Yeah. You know, I just, I, I like all different, I don't care. I'll catch grunts off the dock, <laughs> blow fish up in North Jersey, whatever. I'm sure you will. Bend I'm the sure pole, that's all. So And spread the love, which is all you were trying to do down there. And I'm going like. to do it again come February. God bless you, my friend. You'll be down here. I'm scared to go now. No. They have direct flights now, and this is why I'm going back. Direct flights, um, Bahamas Air from Miami into San Sal. It's a 
huge runway. They fly 757s directly from France to Club Med. Okay, so Club so, Med's open again. Yes. So now the people are back to work, and now the direct flight. So Tim does never have to see Fox Hill Prison from the aircraft or Nassau. No disrespect. No, you can you can lay all the shade you want. I will you never disrespect go back. them as much as you want. I don't ever want. I never went. I haven't been to Nassau in thirty years because I go directly from Florida yeah. to say San Sal. It's not wrong when I think of the Bahamas. That's the last place I think. Never of. go to Nassau. No, Freeport. Nassau is a big city. It's a cruise so port terminal. It's anywhere not, cruise ships dock have ruined the fishery. Yeah. So. But we should try to reach out to Donnie because he's going to verify a right. few things. This is my backup captain. He's waiting for a call. All right. I'm gonna and try. you're going to talk to him. And he's going to tell you what happened when he landed on the plane and saw me go, going the other way. Because no one knew, Charlie. That's crazy. Nobody knew. I, I went MIA for like five days. My brothers, sisters, no one knew where I was. And Donnie's going to tell you what he did. All right. We'll correct calm. that. Hello. Um, hey, is this Donnie? This is. Hi, Donnie. This is Charlie Levine with Angler's Journal, and I'm sitting at the table here with Captain Tim Hyde. How are you? And he said, we got to call Donnie and get the scoop from uh, from your end. We were just talking about the whole incident in San Sal, and uh, the way he explained uh-huh. it, you were sort of getting off the plane and watched your buddy get carted off. Pretty much. <laughs> Can you – what was going through your mind? I mean, did you – it's just crazy. It's the craziest thing I ever heard. Yeah, I mean, it it was pretty pretty crazy. I mean, we had a lot of plans and things going on, and I mean, I was scheduled to come over there, and literally like the day before I was supposed to come over there, he got arrested. It was a couple days before, and then <clears throat> so when I was coming over there because we had Rick Rosenthal coming in and uh, I didn't know he was going to be getting on the plane as I was coming in, but that was pretty much the case. So, <laughs> but the whole situation was just nuts. And you weren't able to obviously track him down or help in any way. That must've really drove you nuts. No, I mean, they kind of had him, you know, away from everyone else and, as far as information goes, I mean, nobody over there is giving you any information unless you're a lawyer or paying them a bunch of money. So, so information what, is not easy to get. And and you're a captain as well, Donnie? Uh, yes, sir. Okay. <laughs> Tim wants me to ask how you got the nickname Kid Rock. Uh, well, I met him at a fishing lodge up in Alaska. It was the first year I had been going up there, just doing something refreshing, new. And either way, I guess at the lodge they give uh, they give everyone nicknames, and you don't get to pick them; they just give them to you. <laughs> and uh, you know, I had longer hair at the time, and you know, I'm not too tall, but kind of tall and thin, and with some facial hair and. And I guess when I, as soon as I got off the plane, there was a couple guides that were up at the lodge kind of looking down. That's just what they started calling me. Oh, that's funny. But yeah, it came from the lodge up in Alaska. 
But Florida's home for you. You fish. What do, what do you generally oh, yeah. Fort Lauderdale, Charlie? Uh, born and raised okay. in Miami. And uh, I live in Dania Beach for the past, like, eight, nine years. Okay. And, uh, yeah. And I, I seem to recall you and Tim won a tournament, uh, the Hook Tournament, or Huck. Huck, up in Ocean City, right? One day. Yeah. Yeah, that was, a, that was a, another <laughs> another adventurous thing. But uh, I was – we were supposed to go up to Alaska for the summer. This was COVID summer. Okay. And uh, all the Alaska stuff got canceled. And pretty much everything was at, on limbo because of the COVID at the time. And I found some work over in Texas in Galveston. And so me and a buddy went over there and we were working over there out of Galveston. And I just got a random phone call from Tim, how it kind of happens. You just get random phone calls from Tim every now and then. (laughs) Yes, I know how that goes. And uh, so it was just one of those things where he's like, hey, I, uh, I met this guy. He's a really nice guy. He's got a boat. It's not the nicest boat, but it'll work. And he goes, he wants to fish all these tournaments. And he goes, I'm not doing it unless you're coming. So can you leave Texas and come meet me in Hatteras and we'll fish these tournaments? So I was like, absolutely, Tim. So <laughs> I drove back to Florida from Galveston, uh, saw my son for a couple days, kind of revamped and got the things that I needed, and then drove up to Hatteras to visit him. From there, we went up to the tournaments, uh, you know, up to Ocean City, and spent about a week preparing all the gear. Me and him just living on a boat together, you know, you know how the deal goes. And you know, we were the the little boat that shouldn't have been competing with all the multi million dollar custom boats, but we were the only one that came in with a weighable blue marlin. And oh we won God. every single category except for one. We got second place in the other one. That's amazing. So every single category across the board, we got first place except one category. We got second. How cool. Well, that's a good trip right there. Yeah. A lot yep. different than San Sal. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, that summer was was great. I mean, we fished the White Marlin Open, and we, we released a few Blue Marlin and a bunch of White Marlin. We weighed a... a you know, we weighed a white marlin, and it was uh, legal length, but not legal weight. Um, and we also weighed a 54-pound mahi in that tournament and got third place overall mahi. And, yeah, it was crazy. I mean, I went to fish mid-Atlantic after that, and the guy's boat that I was going to fish on, we went the first day we were going out fishing, we blew a motor. The whole shaft in the motor literally just locked up. It was outboard. And uh, so I called him. I don't even remember if he was still in Ocean City or if he was somewhere else at that point. But I told him I needed his help. And I called the owner of the boat that we were on in the hook tournament and the White Marlin Open. And he agreed to let me use the boat in a pinch, you know. And Tim agreed to come up. And then we fished the last few days of the Mid-Atlantic with uh on that boat and it was me and tim again so he helped me out there cool. that was a crazy summer man it, it was it was very cool and you know experiences i'll never forget very very interesting and so you're gonna go back down the san sal this crazy guy said he's going back down you know 
I, to to what extent I don't know. Um, I he's got some stuff going on to where it, it might be sensible for him to go down there. Uh, I work for a private owner, and I'm pretty much full time for him. And I know we're going to do a lot of stuff in the Bahamas. You know, to what extent I don't know, but I mean, at some point for sure, I'm going to make my way back to San Sal. All the right. whole thing that happened was just craziness, but the island itself and the whole fishery and just being like, that's it's definitely somewhere that I want to be. Okay. Well, maybe I'll see you down there. It'd be nice to meet you, and um, thanks for your time, and, and I'm glad you're doing well. This is one question. All right, Tim's got one more. He can't hear us for some. Just read that. Okay. Tim is asking, when I was found not guilty, charges were dismissed, boarded a JetBlue flight to Fort Lauderdale. What bad news? Did he give me a 10 o'clock when I go off the plane? What bad news uh, did you give him? Uh, well, he left his van down in Isla Mirada at Bud and Mary's, and it was supposed to be tight and right sitting there, but apparently somebody there didn't get the memo, and they had towed. And, uh, so I was calling the place to try to see about his van and how much it was going to be to get it out and all this stuff, because I knew Tim was coming back and uh, they were like, no, nah, man, we sold the truck. Like it was, it was past 30 days. No one made a payment. Like, so we sold the truck. Oh my gosh. So they're like, nothing you can do. Wow. So I had to tell him, I was like, Tim, the van's gone. They repoed it or they sold it. Like, I was like, they didn't even repo it. Like, Chrysler don't even have it. The the people that had the tow the yard, I guess, after so many days, they have authority to to do whatever they got to do with it. So they sold it to an auction. And so, I mean, it's not even something that he can do. Like, you couldn't even do anything through Chrysler. No, I mean, the van was just completely gone, which all his, like, basically stuff. I mean, if you know Tim... His van is that's that's everything. Wow. Well it's time everything, for some everything he good karma from here on out. <laughs> yeah. You know, unfortunately things happen in life and you just have to learn from them and, and rebound the best you can and hopefully you got some good people around you to you know that's it. Make sure you're all right and I mean unfortunately life is not always good. Yeah, well, but the the fishing's going to be good in Alaska, and it's still going to be good in San Sal. So, oh no, he's yeah, he's 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 got good things happening in front of him, and he's always going to be good. He's All a good right. person. Awesome, Donnie. It was nice to chat with you. Uh, take care, and uh, hope to meet you one of these days. Yeah, same, Sam. Thanks for having me. All right, take care. Bye. All right, bye. Well, that's it, Tim. Here we are, and um. Again, I, I can't thank you enough. I'm so glad you're safe and that you're back and um, we get to fish one of these days. Well, I'm just looking forward now to change it up in 10 days and I've got all my replacement gear that was stolen out of my van, so I had to replace all my Sims on the Sims Pro Orbis. Okay. So other than my Billy Bong shirts and my Tar Heel, I had to replace everything, you know? So you go through waders, wading boots, all your layers. Oh, it's expensive. It's a lot of stuff. Oh, waders are only $799 for a pair of uh, Sims Pro G4s. It's good stuff, though. Yeah, it lasts. Yeah, but I just I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Because right now, 
I'll be back up where it's, uh, it was 14 degrees yesterday in King Salmon, but it'll start warming up by the time we proceed and we get, we're allowed to take our first clients June 1. So you'll be up there June through I'll be, October. I'll be May 10th. To October. October 15th. And we close camp down. Well, don't be a stranger. Don't go totally dark. <laughs> you know they have satellite phones. I'll read. They out do. There. Stay in touch and be safe. I think guns are okay up in Alaska. So I have plenty of those. <laughs> I have plenty of those. Right. Awesome, Tim. Well, thank you so much. And um, to all of our readers, keep an eye out. I think we're going to dig into this story and put something together in the magazine. So, thank you so much, and we'll talk soon. For a user-friendly, fully automatic trim control system at an affordable price, look no further than Zipwake Systems from Imtra. With over 45,000 systems in use worldwide and hundreds of boat builders installing them on new builds, Zipwake is proven to improve the ride of almost any powerboat from 16 feet all the way up to 110 feet. Imtra's full-time team of product experts are available to answer all of your Zipwake questions. So visit Imtra.com, that's I-M-T-R-A.com, or give them a call to get started.